Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. President Trump making that decision very late last night, announcing at, at the very uh, hours before a deadline that most transgender troops would no longer be able to serve in the military. Now, this final decision comes months after the president himself announced this change on Twitter, but caught his own Defense Department by surprise. He then gave uh, the Defense Secretary, James Mattis, uh, some months to come up with a policy around this decision. And this is one that is likely to draw some serious legal challenges in the months to come. Uh, here's what the White House said the policy will do in a statement last night. A transgender persons with a history of diagnosis of gender dysphoria, individuals who the policy state may require substantial medical treatment, including medications and surgery, are disqualified from military service except under certain limited circumstances. Now, there's some other details about this that are, are notable. This policy rescinds the Obama-era rule change that allowed transgender service members to serve, but it also uh, allows act pe people who are currently active in the military, most of them, to continue serving. But it prohibits transgender individuals from enlisting into the into the military, and they may those who are currently serving may be required to serve according to their gender at birth. Now, James Mattis defended this decision in a statement uh, announcing the policy, saying that there were some concerns about the effect of transgender troops serving in the military on military readiness as well as costs, and he also noted that it would require waiving some requirements that are already in place for those who are serving. But those statements contradict a 2016 uh, study on the impact of transgender service members on the military that was done by the RAND Corporation uh, that found that some of those effects are minimal, or if not uh, negligible. Uh, but in the courts, this is going to be fought out uh, pretty aggressively over the next couple of months. Uh, the California Attorney General has already announced that they plan to challenge the court decision uh, going forward. And it is a move tonight from the Department of Justice and the Department of Education, which uh, both uh, agencies just released separate letters within the last few moments or so. And what this is doing is essentially issuing a directive to schools to disregard the order that President Obama issued a year ago uh, last year about uh, student to restrooms and transgendered students. Now, this is something that has been um, hanging over the government here and the Trump administration with the Supreme a court case pending in a Virginia case decided to issue this directive uh, saying that they will not stand by the order that uh, the president signed uh, last year, President Obama signed last year. So it is certainly something that is controversial in this context, but it, uh, we are still waiting for a statement from the White House tonight. But we just got one from Justice and the Department of Education, which of course have the uh, purview over this, and they are rolling back that guidance that was issued last year in the Obama administration. All right, so Jeff, you know, the, the thing that's interesting here uh, on a secondary level and it and could be very, very important. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos is a hugely controversial figure. But on this, she was not fully supportive of what her boss wanted to do. She wasn't, Aaron, and we are finding out some fascinating details that there was a meeting in the Oval Office yesterday, and she was at odds with the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, and she was saying that there need to be protections um, for students. She said that's what she has sworn to do here, and she is very conservative, yes, but in Michigan, her home state, she has also been supportive of gay rights, and she uh, made a strong argument for student protection. So there is actually a piece of information in the 
the letter tonight that says that students still should be protected. And essentially, this is giving the directive back to the states, back to local schools, what they should do to protect students. But Aaron, I am told that she was arguing strongly for there to be student protections here. So basically, this yeah. is just taking away the federal guidance and saying, hey, it's up to states and schools to do this. But a fascinating sort of disagreement here in the early days with Jeff Sessions and Betsy DeVos. So this week we're going to discuss what it means to be a better ally to our trans friends. And today with me I have a panel, and I'm going to have each one introduce themselves and talk a little bit about their life, and then we're going to get into a discussion on how we can be better allies, what the correct terms are to use, uh, how activism can change perceptions, and this sort of thing. So first let's talk with Cameron. Hi, uh, yeah, my name is Cameron. I live in Olympia, Washington, and I am, I identify as transgender and masculine. My, uh, I've been doing a lot of work um, with youth in recent years. I am the pres uh, vice president of the board of Peace to Clatch, um, which is a nonprofit group that supports LGBTQ plus, as we say, uh, students and allies in uh, Thurston County um, high schools and middle schools, and um, our basic our basic uh, uh, gist of it is that we we provide support groups at lunchtime for these students, and we have uh, training facilitators uh, that sit with the with the support groups, and that's the main push of our work. Um, you know, there's other things that go with it, but through that work, I've I've spent uh, about nine years with the organization. I've done a lot of uh, group facilitation, and so I've I've worked with a lot of youth that are working through gender questions, sexuality questions, mm -hmm. identity questions, and and you know that along with my own uh, series of questions and and journey in gender has given me you know some information that's that's helped form the way that I do activism. Great. Uh, and then we have We Heavy. Hi. Hey. Um, <laughs> uh, my name is We Heavy Walter Stern. Um, I identify as genderqueer, as a non-binary transgender person. And my pronouns are they, them, theirs. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I'm a member of um, Speak Sports, Speak being Sex Positive Education Event Center, and we do um activism and um and workshops and a lot of different kinds of things that help educate people on a variety of issues um, my focus is on gender um mm -hmm. and how to be a how best to be a trans ally um i've given presentations and trainings on the subject um at uh, a variety of different events um i'm also i also work for burning man so i've got some um, in the desert for Burning Man folks, mm. and I've given the talk. I've given talks in South Africa at that Burning Man event. Um, the major thing that project that has been in the works for me that I'm that I'm really happy to share is um, a poster project that started out as um, a part of a art show I've curated a few years ago, and it's now. Um, available and there's a website which is transrightsnow.org which allows people to download these seven posters which um, provide people with succinct clear information about 
specific issues for trans and non-binary folks um, and allows people to learn something without having to go to a training or they can just see it and read it and learn something and come out the other side with a better understanding of an issue. Yeah, that's actually very needed, I think. Um, and then we have Kaylee. Hi there. Uh, my name is Kaylee McKee. I identify as a transgender woman. Um, I moved to the LA area from uh, rural Illinois, uh, a town called Galesburg, Illinois. Um, I'm somebody who uh, advocates and thinks a lot about trans issues. I was recently a part of a uh, video that was recorded uh, to help talk to places like beaches and gyms uh, about trans people using changing rooms and how to uh, respect us correctly and uh, things mm -hmm. like that. And I'm also a uh, voice actress who uh, uses my natural born masculine range to give voice to characters because I was born with this range and I want to kind of show that you don't have to fit the the standard mold of femininity to be a woman mm -hmm. and to be who you are. Yes, and that's actually how I met Kaylee at Comic-Con, um, in a bar, uh -huh. no less. <laughs> yeah. So I, let's talk a little bit about the terminology, the correct terminology. Now, you all ex explained how you identify. Um, let's Let's talk about what are the proper terms. Like, I know intersex is how they now call um, herma what used to be hermaphrodites, I guess. Do you find terminology uh, to be offensive sometimes if it's used incorrectly, or do you find yourself having to explain what it is to misgender yourself? Or how does that work itself through when, when you're dealing with folks that aren't really clear on what proper uh, words to use? I can say personally for for myself and for most trans folks that I know, uh, as far as terminology, uh, there's some obvious ones that uh, that most people on the left get correct, like not using transvestite. Um, but there's still right. a there's still a large number of people on the left who use things like, oh, they're transgendered or they are a transgender, which isn't mm -hmm. really correct, and, and a lot of us don't really like that. Um, it's usually a lot better to say they are a transgender person um, because it's an adjective. It's not a, the, the right. definition of who we are, you know? Right. Okay, that makes sense. The issue is it's one of the posters that we have is about, is about the fact that trans is transgender is an adjective, not a noun, uh, and so it sort of plays off of that. Um, for me, the important things for people to understand, probably the most important thing to understand these days is understanding the differences between cisgender and transgender, which has made a humongous difference in um, bettering, better not othering uh, trans folks mm. so that um, before words like before cisgender was in the um, in the world, people used all kinds of different words to basically make trans folks feel fake and feel um, not right. real, um, whereas other people were real. 
And what's important is understanding that you know, names and pronouns are necessary and real for everyone, um, and that um, cisgender versus transgender are just two sides of the coin rather than um, a whole bunch of different ways to make someone feel less than. Can you explain what cisgender is? Because I'm not sure a lot of people know what that means. So if your um, lived gender identity aligns with your birth sex, you're cisgender. So most people okay. are cisgender. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you were born um, female and you lived your life as a woman, then you're a cisgender woman. Um, right, and I would and I would say further, uh, if you were born if you were born assigned female at birth. Exactly, that's what I meant. Um, thanks for mm. um, Let's talk about that for a second too. Assigned female at birth. Okay, for a long time, a doctor would decide if you if you happen to be born with variations of sex organs, a doctor would decide whether you were a female or male at birth, and and they would make that decision. But the problem is, is uh, how you identify how you feel inside isn't necessarily going to match the decision that they made because at when you're born, you don't know. You know, your brain could have been sexed with the opposite hormone, a whole host of things. So so it's really an awful experience, I think, for the kids that, you know, it, the mother decided we'll make him a, a male when in actuality he never felt like a male. And then he turns 20 or she turns 20 I should, or, and all of a sudden it's like this isn't what I am. And they didn't know what happened to them at birth. Um, so, it's more than that, though. Folks who are intersex, every one of us is assigned a gender at birth. That is still the practice. I was assigned female gender because of my genitalia, what they could see from the outside, right? Mm, Every, I mean, okay. that's still the practice everywhere. That's what we mean by assigned gender at birth. It's not just for folks who might have some um, variations of genitalia that are difficult for the doctor to identify or, you know, for them to sort. It's everyone is assigned. You, I assume, were assigned female at birth, as was I. So, gotcha. You know, and my brother was assigned male at birth, right? Those are still assignments right. made to the outside without regard to how that person will identify as they grow up. That's what we're talking about. Everyone. Yeah, and there's one little thing I want to clarify with that, too, is um, okay. making sure, and this is something I go over when I do my trainings and do um, different kinds of things for how to be a trans ally is understanding the that there are three concepts that are interrelated but are distinct, which is that there's sex, there's gender, there's sexual orientation. So mm -hmm. um, no one has, nobody really has gender when they're born. They're assigned to sex, um, either right. male or female. And then through society and through upbringing and through all kinds of different things, parents are there sort of foist gender on their child in most cases. Right. Um, but there's, but there, it's important to just make the distinguishing point between gender and sex because they're, they are independent. Mm -hmm. Even further than that, um, it, it's, uh, you know, sexual dimorphism is a a thing that a lot of mammals have, but it, it's, um, it's a lot more washy than you would think. So even even yeah. with <laughs> gender and sex are separate, but. Uh, being assigned something at birth, it, it happens a lot more often than you think that mm -hmm. there's not really a good classification. And we call those folks intersex, like we already mentioned, but intersex individuals are 
a lot more common than you think, and there are a vast number of ways that one can be different in sex, and that it is absolutely right. not simply constrained to that chromosome that everybody gets hot and bothered about. <laughs> Hi, my name is Dean Hamer. I'm number 3028, and I support SB1. During these hearings, there's been a lot of discussion about the question of be whether being gay is a choice or whether it's an immutable trait. And I'm here to offer the committee the current view of the scientific community on this particular question. I do so as a Harvard PhD molecular biologist and chief emeritus of gene structure and regulation at the National Institutes of Health, where I published over 100 peer-reviewed papers and three books on this topic. Scientists like me think about sexual orientation not as a lifestyle, but as a phenotype, an observable set of properties that varies between individuals. We determine the sources of this variation through quantitative twin studies and molecular genetic mapping. The results of such studies are unambiguous. Genes are the single most important factor in determining a person's sexual orientation and outweigh all known shared environmental factors. Furthermore, sexual orientation is associated with two specific regions of the human genome, P20 to Q22 on chromosome 8 and Q28 on chromosome X. A recent Society of Human Genetics study dramatically confirmed these links with odds ratio of greater than 10,000 to 1. During these hearings, Representative McDermott claimed that being gay couldn't possibly be genetic because he said that only 5% of gay twins are concordant and no one's found the associated DNA. Both those statements are simply incorrect. The concordance rate is 10 times higher than that. And at least two specific loci have now been mapped and replicated. Taken together, these findings lead the scientific community to conclude that sexual orientation is a deeply ingrained innate trait with strong genetic and biological roots. So gay people no more choose their sexual orientation than to heterosexual people. There are over 150 different conditions, including Klinefelter syndrome, which is double XY, um, that all right. fit in that category. I wasn't trying to say that it's that it's clear-cut male and female. There are tons of people who are intersex, and tons of people who are intersex that don't know when they're born, and the doctor mm -hmm. doesn't even know when they're born. Um, but the distinction that I was trying to make clear is, especially for folks like me who identify as non-binary or genderqueer, um, you know, it's important to draw a distinction between um, sex and gender because, you know, I was assigned male at birth and I've never taken hormones, um, but it doesn't, you know, but my gender, my lived gender is genderqueer and non-binary, um, doesn't, you know, for me, sex just pulls me away from how I identify, that it's not important really in any context except for a medical context for me. So, right. right, which makes sense. How about, how so, about with you, Cam? So I, there's a couple springboards that I caught in, in, in all of that that um, I know that we talk about with our youth a lot because um, they're, of course, full of questions and really very open to information and teach us, us a lot. But one of, the, one of the things, I can't remember if it was Kaylee or we that mentioned, um, I think it was we, Sex, gender, sexuality, right? There's there's a mm -hmm. game that we have in Pizza Clutch. We call it the uh, the 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 identity pizza game. And so it's it's you know it's like a felt pizza with colored slices, 
and we have these uh, pepperonis with words on them. And it all corresponds to something like gender, sex, sexuality, um, you know, relationship status, relationship style, all these different things that are that are identity pieces that that relate to gender or sexuality in some way, since that's our focus. And what we do with that game is we really try to break it, because what they do is they put up pieces of pepperoni with a word on it that correspond to that area of the pizza, and mm-hmm. we make them do it blind, so everything's turned over, so they can't see what they're putting up. So they end up putting up, as you can imagine, some really interesting combinations of what the <laughs> pronoun is and what the person identifies is, and et cetera, et cetera. And we challenge them to imagine this person in the world because it challenges a lot of their assumptions, right? It challenges mm-hmm. assumptions about, you know, if you use a certain pronoun, then you identify a certain way. Or if you identify a certain way, then your sexuality is a certain way. So we try to challenge all that and have them realize that all of these things are, can be seen as independent ingredients in identity. And because there's a, there's a lot of confusion, I think people get confused about um, you know, they equate trans people with, you know, like a, a non-heterosexual orientation. That's not always the case. Um, yeah. Sexuality is completely, can be completely, I mean, it's completely independent. It's, it's not based on any of these other things. And, right. and all, all of these things can be thought of independently. And that's, that, that game really helps um, our youth. And we've used it, we do it in our events with adults too. And it's really it's funny to see this thing go over their heads where they're like, oh, my God, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, like, so part, part of what I think the education has to be brought more broadly is that these are all independent factors. I mean, okay, they're not truly independent, right, because they all live in us, but they don't necessarily, there's not an assumption, there can't be an assumption made about what your sexuality is based on your gender or what your gender is based on your right. pronouns. You know, well, what you might want right. to do for transition, medical or not, first based on, you know, all these things. These are all independent choices that people make to fit how they want to be and how they feel comfortable in the world. Right. How old are the kids, Cam, that you work with? At what age? Um, our, our participants uh, are mostly high school age, although we are, we do have some pilot programs in middle schools. Middle schools are clamoring to get us um, in there mm. because... Um, because middle school age um, youth are thinking about identity and sexuality and gender and their um, their rates of suicide ideation and attempts are just as alarming as the older students. So you know mm-hmm. our, key fo- our focus is we want to keep you alive. You know we want you we yeah. want you to want to live. We want to give you enough support that you see the world as a livable place. Um, mm-hmm. That was you know. So yeah, so there. So so some of our youngest, I think, I think twelve is about the youngest of the participants that we have right now. But most of them are thirteen and up, and most of them are high school aged. And I, you know, I have to say, I love the fact that their parents are so forward thinking um, to to involve their kids at a young age to with your group. I think that's that's fantastic, well, and I wish we had more well, of that going around. Let me disabuse you of that notion for a moment. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, that's not. This is okay. So this is a lunchtime drop-in, drop-in activity. Uh huh. Some of their parents do not know they are participating. Oh, they, okay. They are not required. Okay, so at at high school age, they are not required to let their parents know it's something. It's lunchtime. Ah, uh, okay. Lunchtime. 
they're choosing, they're opting into the support group. And okay. part of part of the the power behind it for them, part of the safety is nobody reports out who's there. It's, mm-hmm. it's like it's like Vegas. We have Vegas rules. And uh, it's <laughs> Vegas rules. What happens? What happens if you crash? You know, days. <laughs> right. So one of the group norms, one of the big group norms, is Vegas rules. You know, you don't talk about what happens in, in Pizza Clash outside Pizza Clash. Maybe that's Fight Club. That's I don't great. know. Something like that, right? Um, right. So at the at the middle school, we had to do. We had to. We actually had to look at it a little differently because they're at the age where we've got to we've got to work a little bit more with parental consent, but mm-hmm. we still get a high a high participation rate. So, so at that age, yeah, the, we do have parents that are allowing them to go at, at a high rate. Um, so I just, you know, the high school age, they can opt in or out, opt out all on their own. Right. They absolutely have families who would probably disown them if they knew they were sitting terrible. in pizza class with a bunch of queers. Yep. <sighs> That's just depressing. Um, it is. So at what, what age do you, did, did each of you uh, realize that maybe you weren't the what the society was telling you was what you're supposed to be. I'm kind of that uh, in the boat of of always having known. Um, there's there was not a single time in my childhood throughout me growing up uh, that I did not say I am a girl. Something is wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. now the difference there is when did I know that being trans was a thing? And then when did I, uh, when was I able to come to terms and be okay with being trans? Because Mm -hmm. in, in junior high is about when I started learning of trans people existing, um, even though before that I had routinely said to myself, I want to be a girl. I am a girl. Like, um, when I, when I learned that trans folks existed, uh, I was living in a farm town in the Midwest, uh, in a place Mm -hmm. that is very closed minded, usually, uh, very religious, which is not, they don't always go together. I have a lot of religious friends who are very supportive, but, um, Mm -hmm. in those areas, they often coincide. Um, and, uh, my, the only examples that I was able to see of trans folks were the bad stereotypes on TV. And so I saw these characters and said, well, if I'm like that, I must be broken. So I tried to repress it. Um, Mm. But eventually I got over that. But yeah, it's something that I've always known. I would imagine, you know, when oftentimes when you hear folks that want to make the argument that sexuality is binary and it's not variant and it's clearly variant, um, I'm always I'm always disturbed by how quickly folks, like, they go to a place where they want to make you feel bad about the way you keep, like, you're supposed to have control of the way you feel about this. And, you know, it's the same thing with, if you're gay, I mean, you don't wake up one morning and decide you're going to be gay. You are attracted to who you're attracted to, and, and that is as real 
for a gay person as it is for a straight person. So when, you know, so it's like when people make these arguments, I just don't understand how they can't accept that this is, you know, just, it's a biological imperative for somebody that feels that way in the same way that you're a straight person and you're attracted to the opposite sex. It's no different. And I don't understand, you know, if you look at some of the more ancient languages, uh, they would have a female pronoun, a male pronoun, and a third pronoun. So we know this is something that's been with human beings from the dawn of time. So it's not, so what, so I often wonder to myself, when did it become something that was, was meant to be a bad thing, so to speak, for society. Um, well, have any of you done any background in that area? Like, do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. so I've actually written uh, a paper that delved a lot into this. Uh, it's a, okay. It was a three-page paper overarching. It was, it was talking about trans rights, especially use of bathrooms. Um, but I went into depth about the fact that many... Uh, uh, the fact that many societies throughout history have actually had uh, what could be considered trans people and, and gender diverse individuals. Um, there were some societies with up to five regular gender roles in their society. Some had three, some had four. Um, and a big part of it uh, that sort of created the, the false gender binary was um, the rush of Western culture and the birth of bio like biological sciences. Um, mm. We're rushing to, to attach labels on everything. And so yeah. that's what they did, and it became ingrained as sort of a fact of the universe for Western culture that was <laughs> yeah. just based on old bad science and when you have old bad science and you learn something new you throw it out like when we thought that some dinosaurs looked like giant weird potatoes like you throw it out you create <laughs> yeah. new models but for some reason it's been so hard for society to do that for gender right. Yeah, you know, which leads me sometimes to think that it's just, um, and it's the same thing, with, in a way, it's the same thing as racism. Uh, people can't get past some weird personal prejudice that they feel they're entitled to have. And I don't understand, I don't understand why that's the case. It's something, you know, but, you know, Cam and I have talked about this. I'm a very fortunate person in the sense that I was raised in a household where I had, I had lesbian babysitters. So it never occurred to me that that was, like a bad thing or a weird thing or a non-normal thing just because I was exposed to it at such a young age. And I think, I think the more people are around different types of folks and they realize they're human beings too, that it becomes less of a, um, less of a thing, so to speak. I wanted to ask, actually, we, I wanted to ask you about your website a little bit more. Um, I popped on there and I'm looking at some of these great posters you have. And they're very educational. Uh, so do you promote this online anywhere, like in social media, or is it part of a, a bigger nonprofit uh, push um, that you do? Well, uh, I joined Speak after working on this. So uh, if people want to donate, they're making sure that more posters get made. They can make a donation to Speak. But mostly um, I've been promoting it some through I probably haven't done as much push through social media as I should, but um, it is linked to an Instagram account and a Facebook page. Um, 
Okay. Basically, the posters are there, um, and they're downloadable for free. Um, you know, the whole point when they, we first made them, a friend of mine, basically the, the sheet that I use in my trainings, which is a really simple two-sided sheet about how to be a trans ally, um, one of my closest and first genderqueer friends in San Diego wrote. And the second genderqueer person I met um, did the art. And so neither of us ever wanted to make any money off of it. What we want to do is get them out there in as many places as possible right. so that people can see them and learn something that's in a very straightforward way that they could probably get in another way. Yeah, that's great. Now they're really um, they're really informational and they're really clear and concise and straight to the point. So very helpful. I wanted to talk a little bit about turfs, just because this is a personal beef that I have. I mm -hmm. turfs offend me. Uh, <laughs> yep, turfs and, and turfs. Yeah, I just you know, um, and I'm most offended by the fact that most of them self-identify as being on the left, which means that they sort of self-identify with not being. Um, prejudice in some way, but if you're a turf, you're a very prejudiced person, and you're very hateful in my opinion, and I know that uh, as a straight white female, I've engaged some of these folks online, uh, on Twitter, what have you, and I've tried to reason with them a little bit, and they're, they, they can become very nasty, and they're, that, and they're that way with me, so I can't imagine the way that they, uh, so have you been bullied by any turfs online? Uh, is that something you've experienced? I've experienced it a little bit online, and I've experienced it in person um, from people who I thought were close friends, and then they just fall a bunch of turfy crap comes out of their mouth. Um, I mean, the <laughs> thing that I end up end up seeing, and I think probably the most important thing to understand about the simple idea of what, and for listeners, if they don't know what turfs and schwarfs are, turf is a is a transitionary radical feminist, and the Swerve is a sex worker exclusionary feminist. And the the major issue in my mind with this is that if you're if you claim to be a feminist, you really shouldn't couldn't possibly be a turf. And that's the mm -hmm. that's the real issue here is that there are all these people who claim to be radical feminists, but what they really want to do is is create boundaries based on sexual differences and they want to create all kinds of Awful, mean-spirited, um, mm -hmm. and and disgusting ways of of separating people. Um, and I'm sure the other panelists can probably uh, comment on that as well. Well, yeah. I think going back to what Kaylee was saying about um, biology, I mean, this is another use of this biological determinism and and sorting people, right? I mean, they yeah, they they don't they don't believe they don't believe in trans people. I mean, as much as we're here and we exist, they don't believe that's a thing. You know, I'm, to mm -hmm. them, I'm a woman who has a beard and a low voice and, you know, trans women are men and that's just how they see it. They're, they're going to, you know, assigned is the way it goes. And that's part of the problem. Right. Obviously. The rest of it is, I don't know. Kaylee, and have you, have you dealt with this, these guys? These horrible I people? have. Um, in fact, there's a there's a very strange uh, thing that I've noticed with a lot of turfs um, that a, a lot of turfs that I've talked to live in places like uh, 
LA or Portland or mm-hmm. like large city areas. And yeah. and something I've heard them say, uh, first off, a, a lot of times they they get really hung up on on uh, something they 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 call it for trans for trans women they say we have like male pack privilege and yeah, and things like yeah, and, and, and something that, that was always very strange to me and and I've actually yeah. convinced some of them otherwise because growing up and living in the rural midwest let me tell you when I came out and started presenting uh full time I took my male privilege to the backyard and shot it in the head like yeah. it absolutely does not exist anymore. Um, right. And they they talk about the, uh, the another facet of it that they mention is that like trans women will band together and like create and like and and like create support amongst each other. And I I, I talked to them basically. I just had to ask uh, why is that a bad thing? Yes, we're yeah. going to support each other. Women support other women. Trans people support other trans people. Men should more often support other men. Um, and it, they they have these skewed ideas of yeah. what our existence is. It seems. Um, and I've and I've talked a couple of people out of it. Uh, luckily, it, it seems just That's more it. like a lack of exposure and education and. Uh, critical thought on the subject. Yeah, you know, some of them actually go to this place where they argue that you're infiltrating their female spaces. And it's, and if you kind of try to unpack that conversation with them, they go to this place, well, I have a uterus, I was born with my uterus, they weren't, ergo, they are not ever going to understand me or be me. And they really just, it's just one more way that men are trying to infiltrate female space. And it just, you listen to this stuff and you're like, seriously? <laughs> Why? Yeah, well, there's one thing about that, you know, is that we won't ever understand or be them because we're not full of hate. Yeah. We're exactly. not there to create boundaries and division within groups of people because it's right. not helpful. You know, the uh, I, to give you a little sense of the... Um, you know, I, the, someone who I considered a friend who threw a whole bunch of turfy nonsense at me last year was that, you know, she said a similar thing, like, I benefit from male privilege, you know. Mm-hmm. I have a beard, but I have breasts, and I am femme. I don't benefit from male privilege. The second I, no. you know, the second I came out and the second I started living my life the way I did, I threw out having any of that privilege. And there's, you know, something that... I, you know, I'm a, I have a very privileged life in a lot of ways. I'm white, I'm financially well off and other things, but in my gender and sexuality, I don't have privilege. And that person, you know, was like, you have all this privilege. And I was like, no. And then I saw later in the season that, you know, cis privilege outweighs any kind of privilege that I could possibly have, that people seeing you as a, you know, as a person versus seeing you as an oddity is a big difference yeah and it seems to me that that should be clear to them because if you what the minute you come out of hiding 
you've now put yourself further down if there's if it's society's hierarchy of judgment automatically you've now you're you're you know what i'm saying so why why would they make that argument is so beyond the pale to me because clearly in the environment that we are in in this society that's not true the tr trans rights are the least discussed rights out there you right. i mean you don't see you know what i'm saying you don't see um a lot of advocating going on you know we had the bathroom law recently is a prime example and you're a bad ally if you are a turf it's just really well uh, they're, they're, strong they're opinion still matter. themselves as allies at all i mean that's right. their you know i the issues i mean i totally agree with you that no one knows well, one of the issues I meant to bring up at the beginning is I try to work against erasure. Um, mm -hmm. and one yeah. of the benefits of these posters is that they help um, push a different thing. In Portland, where I am, we have a local group that tried to that made an American flag that was um, full of all these different supports for different groups, from immigrants to women to people with disabilities to refugees, but it didn't mention mm -hmm. trans people. And so I, yeah. you know, I got in touch with them, and I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And they're like, "Oh, well, we just donated all this money to trans group." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, can you you have four or five vague statements that don't have anything to do with? Can you put something up there?" And yeah. they did. And that's the issue is that we are um, heavily erased. Um, and as a non-binary person, as a genderqueer person, we're even more erased. Um, even though um, mainstream media has done more and more coverage on us and Time Magazine and other, you know, big publications have done things on us. They still don't mm -hmm. show images of people that fall outside of societal beauty. Um, so people like me don't, you know, rate well enough to be able to be seen. Um, right. And so it's a matter of, you know, visibility versus erasure. It's also really important. And, it, and the, the reason... So I'm going to relate this back to my youth because I know that a big deal for them is when they can, when they see themselves in some way being represented in media, in the community, anywhere. Um, I'm sure you all, you know, the other two um, have, you know, even you know, Tina, we all have that experience, right? We want to see, we want to look for, you know, who are those people out in the world doing things we want to do that we can relate to, right? And when you're a youth right. and you're a non-binary or you're exploring, your, you know, you're exploring all these dimensions and you're not sure where you are, having, having anyone outside, of, you know, an adult, uh, maybe somebody in the media, but just, you know, having any sort of role model or example to look to is huge. You know, when mm -hmm. I was... Made, you know, we're going back to talking about our, um, how we got here, right, and when we started. So yeah. I, 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 was, I was born in the 60s, in the mid-60s, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of the word even transvestite. Transvestite was still used in the early 90s. That was still, uh, transsexual, actually. That transsexual was more used then. Transgender, I didn't really even hear about um, very broadly until a while after that. When I was young, when I was, you know, a kid of five, six, seven, and I knew myself to be a boy, even though everyone else told me I was a girl, right? I didn't have, yeah. you know, so I, not only did I, I didn't have a word to, put, to, to, to claim, 
I, I didn't have, I didn't know, I didn't see anybody like me. So, you know, it's really easy to feel like you're the only one ever. And it's really easy to talk yourself out of it. And then, you know, try to be whatever it is everybody thinks you are for a while. I came out as a lesbian in high school, you know, and, mm-hmm. and this is like the, the late 70s, early, early 80s. So it was super awesome to be, to be queer yeah. in high school. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and worked my way through and dealt with, you know, the feminists who were separatists and hated anything masculine. And I'm feeling all this stuff inside of me that still isn't mm-hmm. quite, hasn't quite found its home, right? And then rejecting right. that and then going on and on and on. And finally, you know, I was 50. Well, I was, it was in my late 40s that I started questioning gender and, and was really seeing more of a genderqueer, non-binary uh, self and 50 before I decided to do any kind of medical transitioning and change my name. And that's, I mean, we talk, there's, there's, so there's some myths, I think that, you know, some things that allies need to be aware of are that every one of these processes is different for each of us. Like we might have known we were young and maybe, and, you know, and for people of the newer, younger generations, it is more possible for them to realize what's going on when they're young. They have the vocabulary more and more. There are, media representations, right? There are conversations. So the idea of being transgender is more accessible. But but for those of us who are a little older than that, or maybe those of us who don't have access to those those models, it takes a while longer. So it's not always, you know, you're born that way, you always knew it, and, you know, and then it happened for you. There's a lot of different routes. And I know some folks who really didn't start questioning that until they were older, and they don't have right. that sense when I was younger I felt this way. So there's a lot of these stereotypical, like, easy, um, these narratives, these really, really common narratives that, that are told through the media, because they're the, they're the easy ones, right? They're the ones that they're used to telling. Right. They're really not, they're not digging into all these other stories and how this can happen. And um, so it's, right. yeah, so not so so the erasure like like erasing the erasure um <laughs> so erasing, the, erasing the erasure yeah the, the work that everybody is doing to try to get more stories out there and be you know like the people that are writing and publishing the people that are doing shows the people that are doing posters the people that are doing talks and yeah. going out to schools and going out wherever it's actually it's giving people a ten, it, it, if you can't ident- like i couldn't identify for myself that i was trans because i didn't know the right word. Right, I didn't have anything right. to pick up. It's really hard. It's really hard to move yourself in some direction when you don't even know it exists. When you think it's just you, right? So, so dealing with that erasure is huge because then, not only are we informing you know folks like you and other people who are potentially our allies, but we're informing our ourselves. You know, other members are yeah don't see themselves yet. Not sure if you know maybe they don't feel like they're trans enough. Or, right? We've all heard yeah. that one, right? Not, you're not whatever enough because you don't follow this narrative. In right, right. Or these stories getting out there so that they realize there isn't just one way to be trans. And in fact, right. there's, there's, you know, I mean, non-binary. I mean, we, you can, we can validate or, or, or dispute, but there's, there's like this huge variety of ways to be not binary. And and I think a lot of people don't realize that they have that kind of they can have that kind of freedom, you know. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, even 
as a non-binary person, that's the beauty of it. Um, you know, one of the other things that I use in my trainings is a universe model for gender. So thinking about gender as stars in the universe that may cluster around, you know, what it might mean to be a woman or what it mean to be a man. I mean, one of my favorite things about being genderqueer is that just like lining up 100 women or 100 men next to each other, you line up 100 genderqueer people next to each other, we are not going to look the same. We're going to, everyone's, everyone's sense of what it means to them is going to be different. Yeah. No, and you're so right. And for me, my my journey is I was, I, I too was not exposed to these ideas um, as far as, as the, the nuances. You know, I had the lesbian babysitters and I knew what being gay was, but but the idea of transgender was never something that um, was discussed until, you know, gosh, I probably heard the first first of that maybe when I was in my 30s. So I think we've come a long way. And I know for me, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast with, with you folks is I want to learn more. I want to be a better ally. And I don't always get it right either. I think... Um, so I know that, that there's a, a big push within the leftist community to, to want to be better allies, and we just, we just don't know how to be better allies. So we, we need help. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask, um, uh, there was a film that I saw that was a Thai film called Beautiful Boxer. I don't know if any of you have seen this film, but it's the story of a uh, Muay Thai fighter, and it's based on real life. This was an actual fighter who was trans, um, and it's, it's the journey the fighter takes from training, um, well, actually goes back, flashback to when, when the boy was first born and he used to like to put lipstick on and things like that, take his mom's stuff, play with it. What do you want to know? When did you first realize you wanted to become a woman? My life isn't like most. I have never been like other people. Ever since I can remember, I have always been different. Take you on many roads, but only when you look inside do you find the strength to be yourself. Presents One Boxer's Epic Journey To win the fight within his heart And inspire the soul of a nation Beautiful Boxer The most difficult thing is Trying not to forget who you really want to be, but it but it traces his um 
his coming out. And towards the end of the film, he's actually fighting, wearing full makeup. One of my favorite scenes is when uh, one of the fighters that he uh, is, you know, calling him names and taunting him and, you know, calling him queer, whatever. And the best part is the boxer nails the guy and knocks him out, and you just cannot help but cheer. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're like, yes. Um, have any of you seen this film? Because I think it's a decent, um, a decent media representation, as, and there's just not a lot out there. You're right. It just doesn't. Other than Caitlyn Jenner, I don't know of any any stories that are being told in that area. Are, um, or do I'm, you know of any that you could recommend too? I don't know about that movie, and I can also speak for uh, a most trans folks that I know when, when, uh, I say that, uh, Caitlyn Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner is not exactly a, a good, um, yeah. uh, a, a, a good telltale for, uh, what most transgender individuals are like or, or think or, or the, what they experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because Caitlyn Jenner, uh, I mean, she was, wealthy and a celebrity already she she could just throw money at, at right. getting her transition done and, and having bodyguards and all of this stuff um yeah and uh she also had a lot of internalized transphobia and homophobia um and it seems like she's getting a bit better but um uh, a lot of people calling her the spokesperson of trans folks it, it gets very yeah limiting and frustrating to a lot of trans folks I and I, I don't know if i don't know if uh uh you other folks uh here agree but that's how i feel about that but um mm-hmm. uh, another an, another uh trans individual that is um good to talk about at least for me that was very influential um is uh, a trans woman in music uh Laura Jane Grace who is the mm-hmm. uh head singer of the punk band against me um when when she came out she said i am not changing my voice i'm going to keep singing the way that i always have um but i am i am a punk i am a mother i am a woman deal with it and she's had (laughs) a lot of interviews on places like rolling stone uh she's been on uh mtv things like that and so okay um, she's definitely somebody to to look to and, and listen to a little bit uh, as far as representation. Against Me's Tom Gable announced that she is transgender and plans on living the rest of her life as a woman. Hi everyone, I'm Brian Corsetti and ENTV has all the details. The lead singer of punk rock band Against Me plans to begin hormone therapy and start living as a woman. She tells Rolling Stone in their upcoming June issue, After struggling privately with gender dysphoria for years now, singer Tom Gable decided to come forward with one of the most personal decisions a recording artist has ever made publicly. She tells Rolling Stone, I'm going to have embarrassing moments and that won't be fun, but that's part of what talking to you is about, is hoping people will understand and hoping they'll be fairly kind. Gable is currently married to her wife, Heather, and the couple plans to stay married. Gable says, for me, the most terrifying thing about this was how she would accept the news, but she's been super amazing and understanding. 
Though this is a landmark event for the music world, Gable isn't the first musician to come out as transgender. In the 1970s, electronic artist Walter Carlos underwent a sexual reassignment surgery to live life as Wendy Carlos. And just last year, Life of Agony singer Keith Caputo became Nina Caputo. Gable's announcement comes at a time when many of Against Me's fans are claiming the band has sold out from punk music. It'll be interesting to see how the fans react to this major decision in the coming days. Yeah, I feel like if we had more, more media representation out there, that it would make, it would humanize. It would humanize it, and, you know, and I think that's an important part of gaining rights for any group that's been disenfranchised. The minute somebody realizes you're a human being just like they are, it tends to let the, the hatred wash away a little bit at a time, you know what I'm saying? And there just isn't really, a, a, there's just not enough media. You know, but it, it took a long time even to have gay representation in TV shows. I suppose it's going to take much longer for this, but I think it would be helpful. You know, you, you brought up the bathroom bills before. Um, yeah. And one of the things I think is probably one of the most amazing things about these bills um, is that they've allowed the country to, to, to grow up quickly or to sort of understand as a whole that they don't agree with them. So, you yeah. know, as, as regressive as these laws are, what it's done is it's allowed people who probably don't think about what it's like to use a bathroom like I do most times when I use a public mm-hmm. bathroom, um, even though I live in Portland and even though I live in the first county in the country to require gender-neutral bathrooms in government buildings, I still worry about taking shit. And um, mm-hmm. when these bills happen, particularly in North Carolina, the country got to stand up and businesses and media and all kinds of outlets got to say, what? That's yeah. insane. We're not going to do that. You know, um, I felt lucky enough that even though I'm not extremely close with him as a family member, that a cousin of mine, um, one of my dad's cousins, uh, is on the board of the National Jewish something, um, and they were going to do uh, their yearly uh, meeting in Charlotte and he reached out to me through my uncle and he talked to me about it and he was like what should we do and I'm like you should speak with your words and your wallet and your words yeah. saying we're not going to host a conference of the state because of these reasons and we're going to take our money elsewhere because of these reasons yeah. and so for me those bills um, are horrible I mean I spent a lot of time in North Carolina as a kid and don't have any interest going back there ever again. But, you know, it at least lets the country wake up and say, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I am not a fan of political correctness. I think we've overdone that. I'm not a fan of government overreach. But Jessica, tell me how this substantively will change the lives of people who are transgender, aside from the issues the governor's talking about. It puts us at risk. Mm -hmm. Walking in, you want me to walk into a man's bathroom? And I'm okay with doing that, but it puts me at risk by getting beat up by walking in there. It puts a man who's a a female-to-male transgender at risk for walking in a female's restroom. This puts us at risk. And when we're already at risk, our numbers of suicide and murder are outrageous. Okay, so so from your standpoint, this this is I'm so glad you're here. So it's not about political correctness, right? It's not about government overreach. It's a pragmatic, real... What, what should we call this? A, a, a life? What, what should we call this? This I mean, is protection. A safety issue? This is protection. And, and you're not, you're not, you're, you're a 
person that can can protect yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. But still. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with if, if the person, and, and we're not protecting these, these people that want to walk into a male's restroom or a female's restroom and molest people. That's not the protection here. The protection is for people like me who genuinely feel like I was born in the wrong body to use the restroom that I identify in public as. Now imagine if I get off an airplane, I walk into that terminal in Charlotte, and I have to go walk, watch, or walk into the men's restroom. Peter, How's that going to look? Do you feel that people of faith are somehow, or their worldview is somehow under attack in this whole process? Well, I agree with the governor in, the, in that uh, clip you just played that uh, it's common sense, actually, that's under attack. Throughout human history, we have separated biological males and biological females uh, for the purpose of some of these uh, activities, such as uh, bathing, dressing, and going to the bathroom. And that reflects a perfectly reasonable concern for both uh, safety and privacy, particularly on the part of, of women and girls, but really on the part of everyone. Wow. And one thing that uh, I think is an indication of how radical the transgender activists have become is that offering a uh, a a generous accommodation, what I believe would, is a generous accommodation of, of either a single-user restroom or a gender-neutral restroom is considered a form of discrimination by them. Uh, whereas well, I think I'm, that's I'm, actually a generous accommodation. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt. Is, is that discriminatory or is that okay? That's no, I, it, it's, it's absolutely discrimination. Okay. Absolutely. The only thing but radical... Then, hang, on, hang on. Again, I want to... Because it gets confusing very fast. Sure. But doesn't that solve the safety problem for you? In, in essence, a unisex bathroom would, in essence, that, solve that, that problem. That's what I'm saying. And you're right. Yes, it would yeah. help segment that. The problem yeah. is this opens up the entire community for discrimination by all people. Just so you know, I'm Jessica Taylor. I'm an airline pilot. I, I, I am transgender. I want to know if you can see me. First of all, what would make you uncomfortable with me using the me. women's restroom? She, she's a very attractive woman. Well, <laughs> uh, well. Very. Uh, a lot of uh, transgender people are not. A lot of people, a lot are not convincing in their presentation as the opposite of their biological sex. And so it's obvious to the people who see them that this is actually a man in a dress and not a, not a biological woman. And, and that can w create, uh, I can understand how that would create fear and anxiety on the part of women and girls in, in a ladies' room. So, oh, so only uh, well-dressed women can go into the ladies' room. Is that what you're saying? Only, only women that are, are attractive, just like the Donald Trump thing, saying, only women I'm that are attractive that can have these positions or use the restroom in this case. Well, uh, if if you appear to be female, then you probably will not be challenged. Okay, so uh, who's going to set the standard to appearance of like female? This. Is there going to be a TSA watching the door of the bathroom, and you're going to say, "Oh, you're not you're not womanly enough"? I know a lot of women that that are, are very uh, you know neutral in their gender, and you're going to tell them they can't use, they got to go use the men's restroom now in North Carolina. Boy, that makes sense. The point is. This, this is an issue that you and other transgender people have brought on yourselves by choosing to present oh, wow. yourselves as the opposite of your biological sex. So this is the consequence of that choice you've made. I'm not saying you choose the feelings, but you have made the choice to present yourself that way. This is a consequence. We, okay, so, so with religious persecution... ...to pander to this. With religious persecution, this is what I'm subject to, is your own ability to restrict my life and to, to, to take just... 
basic rules out of my life and make me use the men's restroom? So that's what you want me to do is walk into an airport facility and use a men's restroom? I, I, I got to say, I, I, would, I would be more... Well, as I, as I said at the outset, Go I think ahead, that gender-neutral restrooms are, or, or single-user restrooms are a reasonable accommodation, but in your view, that's discriminatory because it's stigmatizing. No, I think what I'm saying is, view. why can't we just do what normal states do? We don't have to step back 30 years to accommodate the Christian religion Most in states, North Carolina. This is an important... Okay, this is an important point. The majority of states do not have any law prohibiting discrimination based on gender okay. identity. The majority of states have no such law. So yeah, because North they don't they don't legislate either way. You guys have gone against most quo. legislation, and you said we don't care about your gender identity. We don't care about this stuff. We're stepping back, and we're actually making it illegal for this to take its place. Which guys, other states are moving forward with this stuff? You guys, you guys go back into your corners. Back, back into your corners. I'm, that's true. It brought the conversation to the forefront, and and you're right. There was a lot of outcry against the bills instead of support for them, which is a good sign, I think, of change coming. Um, so what percentage of the population do you think at this particular junction, based on that, is, is open to the idea of having, like, a trans bill of rights? Is, do you think this is uh, something that could happen in the next 10, 15 years? Like, what are your thoughts on that? As an Oregonian, I feel like we're making amazing progress and strides. You know, I'm happy to be one of the first 250 people in the country to have um, an X on their driver's license rather than an MRN. Oh, that's great. You know, it's something awesome. that I, yeah, it's something that I really personally wanted for a really long time um, because, you know, as a non-binary person, it's really shitty to give someone my ID and then them to CNM and then immediately judge me or have right. some kind of, um, I feel like we're making progress in real progress. Um, that's, you know, it takes time, but I mean, I feel like within yeah. my lifetime that things can change. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that need to happen. Um, not just sort of trans bill of rights, but understanding that, to be considered a protected class um, right. and understand that, you know, when it comes to things where we can be really subject to, you know, um, harassment, um, violence and death, that in situations like, you know, I hate to bring it up as a institutional example, but you know, prisons are a good example. You know, you send somebody like me to a, to a setting like that, I don't when I don't conform to you know what to the looks of men or women you know I'm only going to be in danger um you know and so it's a matter of I think we're going to get there I think you know just like the bathroom bills are a way for the country to speak up um the way that this administration um is treating people and the way that they've you know what they did with the CDC and what they've done with other things including trying to ban transports from the military, um, you know, it allows more people yeah. to go, that doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. So we might be in a, a valley to hiccup, but I'm hoping that it's short in the relative span of history. Uh, yeah, I hope you're right. Um, I also wanted to ask how it, how does it make you feel when they qualify this as a sexual disorder? I find... I don't know how you feel. That's what I want to ask you. I find that term to be a bit 
offensive because I don't see this as a disorder. To me, that makes it sound like you were born with a disease or something. And it's just, it seems like the wrong way to look at it. Well, well it's is, is that, how do you feel about that? There's some historic, I mean, I'll let other panelists talk about it too, but there's some historic connection to this. So um, in the 70s when um, gays and lesbians were fighting to get out of the uh, American Psychological Associations, the um, standard manual, right, right. trans folks were fighting to get in. Um, and the reason the trans folks were fighting to get in was so that we could actually see it as legitimate and being able oh. to see it as having okay. real concerns that are real and not, um, you know, I had a great doctor when I lived in San Diego when I had the one surgery, the gender confirmation surgery that I've had. Um, and he was a doctor through university when I was in school and he you know, he was like, I'm putting this down on your chart just so that things will get covered. You know, I don't mm, think of gender okay. dysphoria as a, like he's like, I don't think of it as, as a disorder, but that's the coding that needs to be put in in order for Got them it. To, to cover it. Um, and so, yeah, I agree that it's not a condition or disorder in those ways, but sometimes for the sake of um, academia or um, psychological discourse, there needs to be something on the books to make certain mm -hmm. people understand that, well, people have studied this, so it's something. Um, yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. So, and because that's what I was thinking too. I mean, for the purpose of us having access to um, the right kind of medical treatment, the right mm -hmm. kind of, you know, all of those accesses, right now that system is rigged so that if we want our insurance to cover it, or at least partially cover it, if we have that possibility, it's got to be marked as some kind of problem, right, that we're trying to correct. Right. Um, got it. Otherwise, otherwise, it's elective, and, you know, that doesn't get covered. So until we until we change the system somewhat, um, yeah. it's kind of this bitter pill that, that some of us will choose to swallow because we want access to this system. Um, mm -hmm. So... I don't know. It brings up a lot. No, that makes sense. So w the way the way that I kind of look at it is um, there's a difference between calling being transgender a mental disorder and treating gender dysphoria as a condition of your being. That's a good uh, it, it feels different to me to to say I have these hormones to treat my gender dysphoria than to say. I am transitioning because I have the mental disorder of being trans. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Yeah. No, and I agree with that. It's the difference between saying I'm broken, so I need to be fixed, and there's this issue with my body, which lots of people have issues, you know, that are yeah. maybe they have allergies and they need some high-powered, <laughs> you know, allergic medicine, right. whatever. Um, yeah. No, I think that's a good point. You know, also that dysphoria that, people have around gender, around parts of their body. People have dysphoria around a whole variety of issues that aren't necessarily about gender, too. Absolutely. Um, you know, for me, like, right. I was dysphoric about my chest for most of my life, which is why um, I had surgery to, to, to deal with it. But, I mean, there's dysphoric conditions from everything from Cotard's delusion where people um, think that they're dead. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and those are real things and having dysphoria about one part of your body doesn't mean that 
you know, you're mentally ill, but it means that you want to do something to correct that. Right. Okay. So that, you know, that's a healthy way to see it. Um, that makes sense to me. I, I would like to introduce an idea. This is maybe just mine in this conversation, but okay. I really don't care whether yeah. being gay, being trans, being whatever is something we're born with or if we make a choice that this is right for us. I, I think agree. Either, either way, we shouldn't, you know, right. people shouldn't be effing with us about our choice of how yeah. we want to live comfortably in our bodies. People make choices about joining religion. People make choices, yeah. and that's a protected class. People make choices about all sorts of things, how they want to treat, you know, a condition they have or not treat it. Those are choices people make. You know, there are a lot of people who are trans, who are some kind of not heterosexual, people who will choose to right. have all sorts of choices involved. And and I, I remember I used to kind of I used to kind of lean on that, oh, I was born this way, so I can't help it. And then I realized the language that I was using, I can't help it, which indicates there's an issue, there's a problem. I see myself as defective, but unable to do anything about it. And I thought, that's mm. bad. I'm not defective. This is not something I can't help that I don't believe is bad about myself, right? So It's not bad. So if we want to get real, if you want to get real, uh, a little more edgy with your allyship, maybe question that idea that it matters. Okay whether we're and born with it or whether it's a choice. I would like to um I would like to further kind of go go in on that and talk about uh, a lot of people get hung up on the fact of saying like, "Oh, is there something biological we can find in trans people that like validates their existence or, or like shows that yeah. they are human?" And and uh, so many people get hung up on that and I I ask the question why and and even if there is something is it is it worth it to find it uh, because I can foresee an instance where they find this this marker that might say oh these people have a high rate of being trans and then they start using that to gatekeep people and I am mm-hmm. not in the business of gatekeeping other trans folks if it if mm-hmm. you know if somebody doesn't have that marker, but absolutely, absolutely identifies, you know, as a trans person, uh, you know, assigned male at birth and, and uh, identifies as a woman, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that right. they are just as valid. Um, I agree. So, yeah, it's definitely something to, to think about, you know, that there, there doesn't, you don't have to search for this concrete reason because we are moral agents and we have right. the ability to act for ourselves. And if we are, uh, if we are performing in society in a way that is innocent to others and does not cause harm and it only allows us to live more comfortably, there is not really an ethical reason to stop that. Hallelujah. Yeah, I agree. Hallelujah. I agree with that, you know, and uh, so Cam and I had talked about this before. Uh, there's a Dr. Dean Hamer. I don't know if you're familiar with his work and it, a similar thing. He does work in, in the, he's a, he's a geneticist. But interestingly enough, when he started doing research on, uh, uh, not on trans issues, but on homosexuality and he discovered some genetic stuff, 
there was the same conversation that was had. There was a group of folks that were concerned that uh, if there was like a biological reason for something that this would be used to say, well, homosexuality is a disease, we should treat it. There's, look, there's a genetic reason for it, as opposed to the simple idea that it's okay just to be born the way you are and just accept it and there's nothing abnormal about it. You know, it's just a different thing, not a not an abnormal thing. And then there were some other folks like uh, what was Kaylee was saying, well, like, well, does it have, why does it even matter? Why are you doing this research? Um, so, I mean, there's, I, there's various viewpoints in this and I, I could see very easily how this translates into the conversation on, on uh, transgender rights as well. I would just, you know, for me, uh, you know, I just think people should be allowed to be who they are, period. I wanted to ask you, um, each of you, about some of the current personal activism that you are engaging in um, that we haven't discussed already. Do you, um, do you have any uh, marches that are coming up? Uh, is this something that the transgender community is working to increase exposure in, uh, you know, in the same way that we have Pride Day? Or do you participate in sort of the existing um, spectrum of gay rights things that are already occurring and, and um, kind of pony onto that stuff? Like, how do you perceive the how do you perceive the um, movement going forward and gaining steam? Uh, so, besides going to like the there's a trans march in, in Seattle, which I sometimes go to. I'm also a writer, and I'm going to be I'm going to have a story in an anthology called Gender Queer Stories for the Rest of Us. Um, or mm. from the rest of us. It's not coming out until probably mid to late next year. Um, it's been in the works for three or four years. I had to rewrite my whole piece because so much had changed. But wow, yeah. this, goes, this goes to my the, what I've been telling people a lot, which and it goes to some of our earlier conversation, get the stories out there, right? Tell more stories. Give people more exposure to the different ways that people – identify the different ways that they found themselves um, in the process of living. I used to I used to go to Gender Odyssey, which is a big conference in Seattle. Um, I think now they yeah. have a, a, a one that comes that's going to be in Los Angeles too. But I used to do a, a writing workshop every year called um, uh, Writers Wanted. And it was basically the pitch was, look, don't let the media tell your story because they won't do it right. We've seen that, mm -hmm. right? Or you're going to let, or in recently years, I'd say, you know, don't let Caitlin <laughs> tell your story, right? Right. <laughs> about right, right? Um, but, yeah. you know, take control of that. And I would, you know, so we'd have a little writing workshop and I would, the whole time I'd be saying, you know, figure out what's your, you know, are you a blogger? Do you do video logs? Are you going to do a podcast? Are you going to write a play? Are you, you know, what are, you know, what's your thing for how you're going to, you know, bend a few more ears, get a few more eyeballs to um, understand mm -hmm. this huge variety and this complexity and that, and that, you know, trans, to be transgender is not to be a single thing, to be um, whatever is not a single thing, that there's this huge variety. It's like uh, we were talking about all the stars, right? It's all the damn stars, you know, for anything you look at and the more we get our stories out of there and the more that we talk to people, you know, going back to that personal activism, the more that people know who we are in any way, the harder yeah. it is to just dismiss us as some monolithic, you know, stereotype. Yeah. So that's, 
that's kind of where my activism is right now. It's with the youth that I'm that I'm working with through my organization, and it's this continuing to write and communicate and encourage other people to to tell stories because I think that's super important. Yeah, I agree. How about you, Lee? What are you doing besides the, anything else? Do you guys have marches there in Portland that you're involved in, or any sort of other activism? Um, there certainly are marches. Or I don't know of anyone's. Okay. Most of my activism work right now is going through um, speaks that I'm profit that I'm on the board of. Um, and we do right. a lot of different kind, different kinds of educational events now that we finally have our own space, which took a long time for us to get. Um, we can host different kinds of events and have the space be open to people who need a, a space for a support group or need something, you know, that we're there to, to help. Um, you know, I really liked what Cam said about, you know, opening up what it means to be trans or what it means, you know, and allows people to... You know, the, the thing is, for me, too, is like you said something like, how does it dovetail with gay rights? I think the issue is that what we need to do is focus on the issues that of individual people. You know, the real yeah. thing that happened was that people, you know, marriage equality happened and then people were like, oh, I guess we're done. And it's like, no, no. yeah, we're not even started. Um, right. You know, that they need to be able to see people in a different way. You know, it's interesting, mm -hmm. as conservative as Australia's government can be in a lot of ways, I mean, they have a third gender option. Do you do you feel like you get a lot of support from the gay rights community or no? Could they be better allies too? I they could definitely be better allies. I mean, in, in Portland, we have, there's just, Portland is sort of like a bubble of, of um, amazing liberal action about a lot of different things. And I haven't noticed as much of a pushback. But when I lived in San Diego, all the power in San Diego and the LGBT community is within gay men. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I lived in a very, you know, gay neighborhood in a very um, bare sort of centric neighborhood. And um, I would get, you know, supposedly support, but it felt more like harassment on a regular basis. And, you know, it's mm. the people who have the most power in the LGBT community and have garnered the rights they have on the backs of people like us. And there were trans folks at, at Stonewall. Um, mm -hmm. and we've been fighting for their rights forever. It's time for the for them to fight for us. Um, yeah. So that's what I think, at least. So, what would be your if you were um, to give one bit of advice to a leftist that wants to be a better ally? What do you think? What would that be? What should the focus be? How? What's the one like most important thing that we can do? Someone like myself can do to help you? Listen, um, well, listen to trans folks and speak. Um, don't speak for them, but speak with them. Um, mm, you know, agency is important, yeah. Yeah, and that, like, ask trans people. You know, ask us on this call, but ask people in your lives that are trans because they're experts on their own lives and they understand what they need and what they don't. Um, you know, I right. think the best thing to be a good ally is to ask a lot of questions. Um, and also, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, that makes me the most happy when, is when friends tell me, please, please correct me when I mess up your pronouns. Because yes. it, it creates yes. space and it means that I don't have to 
feel like a broken record. Right. And I can correct them and they'll they'll figure it out and they'll move on versus times where, you know, people make a humongous deal out of them messing up my pronouns and it wasn't the first time that it happened and it won't be the last. Yeah. yeah. I'm guilty of this. Yeah. I'm people are guilty of this. I mean, <laughs> that's why yeah. I think <laughs> pronouns are about effort, not perfection. So, yeah, I mean, pronouns for me are about effort, not perfection. But, mm. you know, it's a matter of, you know, there's a big difference between effort, perfection, and malice. Um, yeah. And most people are not trying to do it wrong, but there are people who do. And, you know, it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, it's about respect. You know, if someone asks you to use this pronoun in this name, do it. If it confuses you, you can ask a question, but don't, you know, challenge someone on their, on right. how they are, who they are. And don't make it, don't, don't make them feel bad about saying something like, oh, it's just so hard, you know, this is hard for me, yeah. too. There's a lot of people that call themselves allies, and then they do that. And, that's, and it's like, yeah, that's jacked up. I agree. you cannot fathom what they have gone through to even have the courage to tell you their pronouns and names. So, right. like, don't, don't, like, yeah, sure, it might, it, it's confusing, and especially if you knew them for a long time, can be difficult. Yeah. But it is not an insurmountable task, and if you respect them, the best thing to do is, even if it is confusing or difficult at first, to simply keep trying and attempt to be better. Yes, yes. You know, in fact, Cam, um, when I first met Cam, Cam's brother is one of my dearest friends, and I had known Cam as a female lesbian, so... When I first met Cam, I, I, I'm guilty of this. I struggled. I kept saying she, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, I did it again. <laughs> so right. it's not insurmountable, but, it, you know, it, it does happen, and I think, um, I think it can be frustrating for someone because it's not out of malice. Well, I mean, I'm sure people, some people are, but we're not talking about those people that are full of malice. But it is frustrating <laughs> because you're like, God, I feel like an idiot now, and I know better, and here I just did it again. And you want to slap yourself, but but I think um, I think what you said is is really helpful. It gives it gives somebody the permission to screw up and not get it perfect, but to work towards uh, being better at it. And I think that's that's important too, because obviously, if we're going to be allies, if, it, if we're all going to be allies, we have to understand each other and we have to give each other leeway for for messing up every now and then. And that seems um, that seems completely reasonable and fair. To add to that, just briefly, the you know I. One of the talks that I gave last year in South Africa, um, a lesbian woman asked me about how that she could make their events in in Cape Town more trans friendly. And I said, you know, like if you're having an event of any kind and you have name tags at the event, you know, put your name and your pronouns on the name tag. Uh, so whenever, yeah. whenever you, if you're doing a workshop or a group meeting or whatever, and you're introducing yourself, include pronouns in it. Because even Smart. if most of the people in the room is, are cis, the people who aren't, it takes so much pressure off of them having to do it. Because you right. know, pretty much if I'm in a new space with new people, I'm going to tell people what my pronouns are. I mean, they're both tattooed on my arm and are right. you know, really important to me. Because if I don't say it, then people are going to make assumptions. Yeah. Right, I, or they're afraid to say the wrong thing or something. You're right. It does take that sort of pressure off. 
so 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 I'll share I'll I'll share a story from from Pizza Clatch. Um, so so again, these are high school students typically, right? And one of the one of the first things we do at the beginning of the school year is we'll talk about pronouns because as a part of our check-ins, we'll we'll say the name that we want to use in group, right? Which can be any name of their choosing, and um, mm-hmm. and and we and we we talk about we're gonna when we're gonna say our pronouns, right? And as facilitators, we model that. And some of the you know after a while, you get you get folks that have been in the Clatch you know previous years, so they know what's going on. But you'll always get the confused um, participant will say, um, well, I'm a girl or, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or they'll, they'll, just, they'll be like, well, what does that mean? What, are the, what does that mean? So, you know, you, you do this education. But I think um, it's great. The more, like, whenever I go to a place and, I, and, 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 they, and a person who I perceive is probably heterosexual um, or maybe I know they are, and they start with, well, you know, my name is so-and-so, and I use she, her pronoun. And it just, I mean, that just, I don't know, it takes, it gives me a lift, and it takes a weight off. I think not assuming, because that's what would happen in Clatch sometimes. Folks would go, well, obviously I use this, these pronouns. Obviously, it's like, well, it's not obvious. That, so that was like our, it's first not all, yeah. our first educational point was, well, actually, it's not always obvious, and that's why we want to highlight this, and that's why we want to be, you know, you we want to we want to respect and give people space, and if you don't want to say what your pronouns are, that's fine. But you know, we just start that conversation right away with, you know, that's our entry point about about don't make assumptions, and mm-hmm. let's make a safe space so that so that um, because when we make assumptions, there's something about that that creates a normal that infers there's an abnormal, and then we get to the place where we are now with so many things, right? So if we normalize. Right. The idea that we all have something to say about our pronouns, then we're not othering mm-hmm. folks who really, 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 really are desperate to have something to say about their pronouns, you know? Yeah, you know, it, it would be so helpful if the English language did have another option. It does. They them. That is valid English using they them. Okay. Because yeah, because some- Here's the description. Here's the one I give, and you guys probably. I'm glad you're telling me that because I would feel like I was being disrespectful by using that word. Let's let's, let me give you an example. Let's say you're driving on the freeway. You have to often do. I know. Um, And some somebody ahead of you is doing some something right that's Mm -hmm. um, dangerous, abnormal, whatever. Right, which I know happens on your freeway um, as much as it happens on mine. And if you if you had somebody in the car, maybe not. If you're if you're a person who likes to talk out loud, you might say, "What are they doing up there?" Ah, uh, fair. Talking, yeah, I gotcha. Talking about all the occupants of the car, you're talking about the driver. You right. don't know the gender of the driver. You just use a third person Dang. singular pronoun mm. as naturally as anything, and you didn't even think about it. So yes, they them. Is okay. Okay. Set. That's, you know, that's really helpful because I would absolutely feel disrespectful using that word and now I, now I won't. See, this is the kind of conversations we need to have with this right here because I guarantee I'm not the only straight person that doesn't know that. Yeah, and a lot of people get hung up, try to get hung up on the sort of grammatical facet of the they, them, and, and that, that example is very, very good at sort of showing them how they use they, them, just like I did, in a singular sense. And using they, them is something that is 
fine and respectable to to use for people that people use all the time. Uh, you just don't think about it uh, because it's mm-hmm. often it j- often just slips through your consciousness uh, because it's a behavior that you have grown to use but aren't totally conscious of. So using that example was, uh, yeah, it's it's very similar to the to the examples that I use that uh, show somebody that. For me, like as a, somebody who uses it as my pronoun, you know, I had to say a few years ago, and thankfully it hasn't happened to me in a few years, I used to have to tell people, like, if you want to have a grammatical argument with me, you care more about being right than about respecting me. And if that's the case, then, you know, you're not my friend. Um, mm. And so, like, you know, it's it's about respect. You know, someone, you know, there are a lot yeah. of people who can't, you know, who can't hack the pronouns that are out there that are coined because people didn't find anything within the, the language. But if you care about that person and you respect them, then you should do what they request, whether I agree. it's easy or not. I agree. I I wanted to also ask about, you know, the driver's license situation that you brought up earlier is, I would think, a big problem. Have any of you ever been harassed by police officers if you've been pulled over for a ticket? No, but I've dealt with crap at airports with TSA. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, we we know the scanners, you know, I don't know if they're actually pink and blue, but we can think of them as there's a pink blue, pink button and a blue button, right? They scan mm-hmm. either for a, a male body type or a female body type. And when you're someone who looks like me um, and sounds like me, um, you end up with anomalies in various places. Um, or, mm. you, know, peop, you know, folks, anybody, there's a whole lot of ways trans and non-binary folks can come in with anomalies because they're making assumptions about what our bodies look like. Um, based right. on some currency, I, I don't even know if they're looking. They don't. They're not necessarily looking at our driver's license at, at that point. You know, they're looking at our body. Right. Press button. And I've gotten pulled over. I've got pulled out of line and had to get scanned and had to reveal what's in my my underwear and all these other things because I pack. <laughs> yeah. um, and and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of embarrassing, wonderful delays. Um, yeah. And so yeah, and having an ex. I don't know. We, I mean, how is that? Have you have you had a chance to go through TSA? Or, I have, of course. Again, they're they, not. They they're don't really looking at the license. So yeah, they don't. I mean, I've had I've been harassed at TSA in various ways. You know, I've been something I've put off for years, and I've been because of the work that I do for Burning Man. I understand sort of similar best practices. I've been wanting to write them about um, best practices for non-binary people and for trans folks. But also, what I've learned recently because my partner is. Um, fat positive is a larger person is that those um, body type things are not just, you know, male, female, man, woman. They're also skinny body types. So that Mm. if you have a different size body, you know, they constantly want to look under their breasts. They want to do all these things that are not, you know. Yeah. So the X itself, the first time I traveled with it last summer, I brought my passport with me even though I was flying domestic because I was worried that someone was going to have an issue. Nobody had the issue. Right. I mean, the people who are looking at your IDs are not the people looking at you in the bass scatter scanner. And I mean, I've had mm. people thankfully flying out of Portland. Usually I've had better luck where sometimes they'll say like, if I do need to get a pat down, they'll ask me. 
if I want a man or woman, if they ask me. Yeah. Say, woman. Um, but, you know, I've had people, I've had a CSA person ask me, um, are you male or female while I'm in the bath scanner? And I'm like, either. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, TSA is a good example. Um, my partner and I had a really horrific experience in an otherwise great trip to New York recently where a security guard at Kmart um, followed us both into the men's room um, mm. and then harassed us, even though it's been illegal to discriminate like that wow. in New York City since 2002. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I don't have very many... I don't have very many experiences with the cops with an ex because I have only had it for about a year. But, you know, I cops in general don't have a great track record with trans people, particularly trans women. Um, yeah. So now the ex on the driver's license, this is a, a Oregon state law, I would imagine. Are other states sort of adopting this as well now? California, then. Yeah, California had a good ex Oregon. California and okay. Oregon was the first state in the country to allow um, someone to change their sex legally to non-binary. Okay. That's good that that's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Say, in Washington, um, recent, very recently, the Department of, I guess Department of Health um, ruled that um, you, could, you could change your um, birth certificate marker to an X. That has not mm. translated up to driver's licenses yet. But the, uh, but I, I contacted someone at DOL. I, I sent a message and said, "Hey, you know, when are you going to do this?" Because I, you know, I work for state government in IT, and I know what kind of yeah. rollout that what that's going to look like, changing all the systems. I'm like, when, "How much of a heads up are we going to get for this?" Um, and they are they are looking into it. They didn't have a timeline yet, but it's going to have to okay. happen. So Washington will be coming along, maybe within a year. Okay, so that's good. So we have a handful of states that are, are pro making progress in this area. Uh, so maybe this becomes, you know, a states' rights thing. Maybe we get we get to the better place by just going state by state and um, passing laws like this because it must be easier. You know, to California, Washington, Oregon, you know, these states have a much more um, forward-thinking outlook in general than, you know, a place like North Carolina does. So... Eventually, uh, I would imagine that would it, it would kind of take the same route that uh, gay marriage did in the sense that it went state by state for a few states, was challenged at SCOTUS, and then it became federal, a yeah, federal yeah, thing. something like that. Well, something I was going to mention is that okay, the okay. Uh, the United States government is is trying to get more uniform IDs. Um, they're they're not exactly doing it in the best way that I think they should be uh, because it discriminates against uh, against um, unregistered uh, individuals in our country. Mm -hmm. But um, the real ID system is trying to uh, create more countrywide IDs. And I think that framework, when it gets to that point, um, is, mm. a, is a good, could be a good system to allow a more federally mandated allowance of right. X on your license because they are trying to um, sort of consolidate the licensing process and um, the uh, sort of format of licenses as well. Yeah, you know, so this, these are the small things that most people don't think about that you have to think about. And it would, I think it would be just 
a huge victory or at least helpful in the right direction if you didn't have to deal with that sort of thing to begin with. You know, it's it, it's a it's a small thing, but it can be a huge burden. I mean, if a cop pulls you over and you, your birth certificate says you're one thing, but you're not that thing, and then the cop gets pissed off and who knows what he's capable of doing or saying, um, yeah, I can't even imagine what that would be like. You know, it's like you try to have um, empathy for various situations. You try to put yourself in other folks' shoes, and sometimes it's just hard to imagine how something so, which would seem such a, a small thing, can be such a problem. You know, I think I think for for folks who are allies who haven't maybe had um, questioned gender really, um, that that's a that's an area, a really unexplored area, and you know. Getting there takes some work, and I think it takes some hanging out with trans and non-binary folks, folks who have really thought a lot about gender as it applies to yeah. others. Um, because there's just a lot of things you, you can take for granted if you don't, you know, like filling out any, fill out any form where there's a checkbox for an M or an F, right? Right. Census. You know, if, 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 you know, if folks just started paying attention to how many times they've got to mark a gender, on something and how pervasive that is and how difficult that would be for someone who does not identify as either. Yeah. I'm still not, com I'm, I'm not comfortably, I'm more genderqueer than I, I am. Mean, I don't really identify as male. I really, I don't identify as female either. And so I, you know, my, my uh, legal gender quote is still female because I don't feel comfortable changing to that other extreme I'm I'm waiting for the X, honestly. Now I'm getting all stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> gonna, yeah. <laughs> give me the damn X. Give me the damn X. Um, but, but you know, I mean, I mean, I don't blame you. Get, if people want to get a feel for what it's what it's like to just maybe just a little taste, start paying attention to how often your gender comes into play. Pay attention to how yeah. gendered products are. Pay, pay attention to how gendered spaces are. Um, mm -hmm. How there there. Are, there are ways that people are sorted by gender everywhere you look. And it becomes really clear for those of us who are questioning this, right? We see this over and over and over again. But I think that folks who maybe this isn't a part of their identity, I think they can become more aware of that too. And those might be yeah. points of activism. Those might be points where um, there's, there's space for an ally to, to help out. And going back to what I think uh, we and Kaylee said is you want to be that ally? Ask us what we want done. You know, center the person. Yeah. It's a standard thing in being an ally, right? Center the people that you're providing allyship for, right? Yeah. Center, center their voices, their needs, what they think is help, and, and you know, push, push in the same direction, right? Um, mm -hmm. And stuff like, you know, these, you know, and when, so when stuff comes up where there's a, there's a vote out there, for something like having an X or um, de-gendering spaces that do not need to be gendered. Um, yeah. Let's push on that for, with us, you know? Agency, I you cannot say that enough. Agency is so important because oftentimes people, you know, and I don't think it's intentional necessarily, but oftentimes people sort of take away a disenfranchised group agency when they start imagining that this is the solution or that's the solution or it should be this way without having the conversation first, you know. And I don't think, I don't think disenfranchised groups, no matter what they are, are necessarily homogenous either. Everybody's allowed to have a certain Absolutely. 
individual opinion within within each group. That's you know, so this idea that all trans folk think this way, I don't I don't think that's a fair a fair place to go to. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> well, the three of us seem to be agreeing on on pretty pretty much most everything yeah. that we're talking about here, but it is important to remember that there are, for instance, something that, that I don't like uh, being, I, I don't like being called uh, a transsexual or a transsexual person. There are some trans folks who don't mind it and some who even uh, choose to use that for themselves. And I respect that. And there's a lot of variance within the community it's just a sort of general trend that it's that you tend to want to be aware of when things are usually uh something that is going to be respectful of an individual um and it's also you know important to remember that showing your gender is vastly different for everyone and there i i know a lot of people who consider themselves allies who um, they still are kind of hung up on the uh, gender roles that Western society has for individuals and expect trans women to be, to, to desire to be super feminine and expect trans men to desire to be super masculine. And not only does that pigeonhole them, it also is erasing of of gender queer, gender fluid, and non-binary folks. Right. Um, so it's right. something to be aware of. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I've always been a big believer that both sex and gender are variant. I've never seen these things as as binary. And but there's something in our society, like I can't tell you how many times I've even seen doctors make try to make the case that sex is binary, and I'm like. You're a doctor. You've had biology. No biology is binary. It's it's a it's a spread of excellence. You know, it doesn't occur on a um, either black or white scale. There's a lot of gray area. That's the point. The world is a wonderfully diverse place, and as scientists, we use the scientific method to try and understand that diversity. This is what is happening with the study of human sex and sexuality right now. Biologists, sociologists, anthropologists, they're all trying to figure this out. And they're finding human sexuality is on a spectrum. And if you're like me, and I know I am, (laughs) you're still learning about this field of science. I used to think there were just two settings, male and female. But it's actually a lot sexier than that. Check out the smoking hot abacus of sex. Now, as you can see, this is a pretty complicated machine. So I'm going to ask for a little help with that. And who better to talk about sex than two cis male white guys? Derek Moore. Derek, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Bill. I see you have the... Pointer of sex. Of sex. (laughs) A a version of it. If, If I'm going too fast for you, let me know. The first aspect of sexuality is, anyone? Sex! Here's what I'm saying. Biologically, not everybody fits into the categories male or female. And by everybody, I mean every living, reproducing thing. 
Am I right, Clarence? The clownfish. <laughs> Here he is. No, this is relevant, everybody, because uh, you may not know, clownfish can change their sex. There's a variety in chromosomes. And like I said, there are sex chromosome abnormalities in one in 400 pregnancies. I mean, that is pretty frequent. But there's also a variety in sex organs, and hormones. This whole thing is wild, people. Am I right, Derek? Absolutely, sir. Now, the next aspect of this is gender. It works the same way. We used to think of gender and sex as synonymous, but these days we use these two words differently. Sex is biological. Gender is how you identify yourself and your experience. I am biologically male, and I identify myself as a man. This, let's say that's me right there. <laughs> and then this is me identifying myself as a man. So my sex and gender are on the same side of the spectrum. But there are people whose sex and gender are not the point. You know, I just don't know why that persists. And then sometimes I think, well, is that sort of um, rooted in our puritanical background? Is it rooted in some sort of religious ideology? I don't know. It's Western culture it's, as a whole. It's rooted Western in culture as a whole, yeah. It's rooted in patriarchy if you want to go to the top. Oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure. You know, patriarchy for sure. Religion, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Props up a whole lot of... Uh, systems that we need to dismantle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, to build on that, it was perfect time and reminded me of the thing I was going to say earlier, is that, you know, that there isn't a one-to-one -one connection, just like I said earlier, there's, this isn't a one-to-one -one connection between presentation and pronouns either. You know, that, like, right. you know, just because someone uses, you know, both my partner and I both use they, them pronouns, um, they look more like a cis, cis woman than I do. Um, but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that, that their pronouns are less valid just because right. their presentation is different. Right. I know several, uh, I, I know a good number of, of uh, trans men. They, they identify uh, he, uh, he, him pronouns, um, but they present, uh, you know, femininely. They, they, they enjoy wearing makeup and um, mm -hmm. they, you know, they, they aren't afraid to, to present in the way that's comfortable to them, and it doesn't make their pronouns any less valid. Right. And, and I know butch trans women, which is absolutely right. a thing, you know? No, absolutely. So, yeah, we have to get past this binary thing. Um, and it's, it's going to be a tough climb because you're right. It's, it, it's underpinning so many things beyond just, just trans rights. It's, it underpins a whole, underpins a whole entire system of patriarchy where women aren't, you know, women are supposed to be a certain way, men are supposed to be a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. You're right about that. Um, so the good news okay. from the from the uh, from the youth, from the younger generations, is that what I have seen, what I have seen in my working with them, is that they're way more open to the idea mm -hmm. of gray area, of not being black and white, of non-binary genders of of um all sorts of choices and variations with sexuality with presentation with you know there there's so much fluidity in a lot of the youth that i see um and i'm encouraged by that i i think you know when i started when i first started working on my own stuff about gender and identity you know at first i was confused and it was a whole lot to get to get into my head and then i start you know working with youth and seeing kind of how easily they, they take it on, 
And I, I realize that, you know, we've been through all these different kinds of social revolutions. I think, I think they are going to usher a whole lot of non-binary into our world. Um, yeah. They embrace it much more freely. They embrace it in themselves and others. And, um, and there's a lot of questioning of the way things are gendered and the, these assumptions that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still hung up. I still have to work through my own assumptions about stuff, even, even when I know they're assumptions. You know, so, so, so our, you know, our younger generations, I think, it, and this is not all of them, obviously, because that's not black and white either. But, but the youth <laughs> that I see who are thinking about these things and who are pushing these envelopes are really serious about pushing those envelopes. And we're going to see huge changes, I think, in the next, you know, in the next few decades. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I mean, no, and I think you're right. You can speak of this so much more than I can directly. And, I, like, the example that I usually give people um, is, like, I have a friend, Chris, at Burning Man, whose kid lives in Corvallis, Oregon, um, which is not nearly as liberal as Portland, and came out as genderqueer a couple of years ago. Their friends were like, what's your new name? What's your new pronouns? And they just moved on. And it was clear and it was easy. And, you know, it's like that's the real thing that I have the most hope for is the next generation mm-hmm. that doesn't view any of this as weird or as yeah, a problem. Bigger. Yeah. You know, it makes me yeah. wonder and wish, like, wonder what, you know, I didn't tell my my story earlier about coming out, but, you know, it makes me want, wish that I could have been lucky enough to grow up in an era like this. That, you know, I knew something was up about ele- when I was about 11, and I thought I was a trans woman for most of my life. And then, yeah, I came to genderqueer because it fit more of who I am. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm almost 37. You know, when I was growing up in middle school and high school in the 90s, you know, there were people, there were role models out there that had come out as gay lesbian, but there were, there were no trans role models at all. Right, um, right. So there was, you know, and, it, you know, it was just as hard for me to come out in 2011 as it could have been, you know, years earlier. Right. It, it, for for somebody my age, uh, I'm 24, uh, and I'm in a very interesting spot where um, I see it's, it, it's sort of an in-between where I see some uh, some people younger than me that I uh, have uh, that I talk to and am friends with uh, that have grown up being um, exposed to to the issues of gender, and uh, they're very they're very active and they're very knowledgeable and they're very open and it's it's very mm-hmm. exciting for me and and I see some folks that are a bit older than me that I'm friends with that I had to do a lot of, uh, educating, uh, sorry, educating with, uh, yeah. and talking to them about it. And obviously that's not black and white. There, there's some variation in, in the age there and, and, uh, different social groups and places they came from. But, um, it's really interesting being sort of, in in the middle of of seeing that change happening uh and it's it's really exciting and it's really heartwarming to see uh these changes happening i yeah I, you know the millennials get a lot of heat but i freaking love millennials i 
I just think politically they are so supercharged. They're so aware of so many things that my generation never was. I'm a Gen Xer. And I love the energy because when I talk to millennials and I hear where their points of views are coming from, they're so much more open. They're so much more aware. And uh, now if we could get them to vote, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, and Gen Z is following up right behind us, you know, just uh, even yeah. more informed. Um, yeah. Because yeah. The, trail, the trail is, uh, is you know, beginning to be blazed and there's, there's a, a path for them to to walk and widen and, and lay the pavement. Yep. And it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Yes, it's an exciting time. Um, I, I think for all of, you know, we all get kind of, kind of caught up in our current political environment because it, it is so backwards. But I don't think it's, I think like you, what you were said earlier about it being a valley or a ditch, a temporary little blurb, I think that's exactly what it is because I don't see I don't see giving up ground in, in these areas where we've gained so much ground. And I do think, um, I think these younger generations are going to widen that, that road and, and become more inclusive in ways we probably haven't even imagined yet. You know, I have, uh, my niece is slightly younger than you, Kaylee, and uh, she's turning 21 this year, actually. I'm going to take her to Vegas. Woo! But um, <laughs> I talked to her, you know, right? I talked to her and her friends and, it just doesn't occur to them that homosexual, homosexuality was ever a bad thing. You know, I grew up in a generation where it was very much judged as, you know, being, you know, something you would bully people over, not accept. And, and her generation, your generation, it's really not a thing. And I love that. I love in that she place. just never, yeah. Well, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there are places where this isn't the case, but, but for the most part, I feel that um, things that were not normal 30 years ago, you know, and, and I use the word normal because that's how it was perceived as an abnormal thing, which is really ridiculous. But that sort of has gone by the wayside in a lot of areas. I think the humanization behind that is really important. I think. Yeah, I, I certainly hope as more uh, millennials get to um, sort of election age, electable age, that. Um, yeah are definitely going to change a lot, uh, especially with, you know, once, once the large base of, uh, of the millennial generation is, you know, when we're in our 30s and 40s and we are in government, we're changing the system, and Gen yeah. Z is, is a voting age at that point, um, Boom. I, That's it. I think we're going to see a lot of vast changes. Yeah. Yes, I can't wait, actually. I think, you know, this might be the turning point where we start actually seeing things like Medicare for all and, and it, 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 all of these changes that we've all been trying to push for so long that we were told were impossible dreams. All of a sudden, I see them on the horizon and I see them as possible and it just energizes me that, um, that these two generations are the future because I do think it's a positive thing. Absolutely.